Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. Having spent some time looking at the Jewish background, we're now going to turn our attention to the Romans. But why look at the Romans? Isn't that secular history? The Roman background is actually essential to understanding the New Testament, as well as later church history. The birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 starts with these words, In those days, Caesar Augustus. It would be by the Romans that Jesus would be killed. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest figures in all of Christianity, was a Roman citizen. Much of the book of Acts includes interactions with numerous Roman or Roman-aligned officials. Ancient Rome basically had three stages, the kingdom, the republic, and the empire. The first two are not of interest for our present purposes, but if you want a fantastic examination of the entire Roman history, check out Mike Duncan's History of Rome podcast. It is excellent. Julius Caesar, who lived from 110 to 44 BC, was not a Roman emperor, but his assassination paved the way for what Rome would become. Julius Caesar was the great uncle of Gaius Octavius, better known to us as Octavian, and soon under a different name. Julius Caesar adopted Octavian as his son, and this is important for how Octavian was later seen. Octavian joined with Mark Antony and Marcus Lepidus to form the second triumvirate to defeat the assassins of Caesar. This triumvirate fell apart with Lepidus being exiled and Mark Antony committing suicide after his defeat by Octavian. Julius Caesar had been deified, something that became an option for later emperors in 42 BC. This is important because Octavian, as the son, even by adoption, could now take on the title of son of God. Octavian took on the name of Augustus, and reigned as emperor from 27 BC to 1480. Actually, his title was really the Princeps Civitatis, which means first citizen of the state. This is a bit of false humility. What is important to know is that Augustus and the later emperors reigned as kings, but avoided the title like the plague. Rome's history with kings was not a pleasant one. It's possible that one of the reasons that Julius Caesar was killed was that some feared he would declare himself to be king. Whatever title, Augustus ruled with complete authority. Augustus was very much interested in enforcing morality, especially sexual morality. He took this very serious. He even exiled his daughter, Julia, his only child, for committing adultery. Augustus died in 14 AD, being not just the first, but one of the most successful of all Roman emperors. A much later wish for subsequent emperors was that they be more fortunate than Augustus and better than Trajan. Trajan will be for a future episode. If Augustus was successful in his reign, he was less successful when it came to his succession. That's not to say that he didn't try. He had some promising options, but they kept dying on him. It ended up that the purple would go to the man born Tiberius Claudius Nero, better known to us simply as Tiberius. A bit of trivia, this Tiberius is the one Captain James Tiberius Kirk of Star Trek fame was named after. Tiberius, who was born in 42 BC, had a complex relationship with Augustus. He was the stepson of Augustus when his mother Livia married Augustus. He was the son-in-law of Augustus when he married Augustus's daughter Julia. Yes, that Julia that Augustus exiled for adultery. Augustus eventually had her brought back, but her loving husband Tiberius had her killed by slow starvation. But we're not done with Tiberius and Augustus yet. Tiberius was also adopted by Augustus. 
This makes Tiberius Augustus's adopted step son-in-law. I told you it was complicated. Tiberius had a son named Drusus Julius Caesar. At one point, he was appointed as the heir of Tiberius. Unfortunately, he died in 23 AD. This sent Tiberius into a spiral, and in 26 AD, Tiberius left Rome to seclude himself in Capri. If Tiberius wasn't in Rome, who was running the empire? That task fell to a man named Sejanus, who was the Praetorian prefect. The type of authority that Sejanus had in the empire was not typical of the Praetorian prefect, but Tiberius trusted Sejanus, and Sejanus was quite happy to take on as much power as possible. While Sejanus basically ruled the empire, Tiberius immersed himself in complete sexual perversion and debauchery. But Sejanus wouldn't enjoy his power forever. Word had gotten back to Tiberius about Sejanus's corruption. In 31 AD, a letter from Tiberius was read in the Senate. Sejanus assumed it was Tiberius praising him and giving him more power. Actually, the letter was calling for Sejanus's immediate execution. Awkward. To put things in historical perspective, it was sometime between 30 and 33 AD that Jesus was executed. Jesus was condemned by Pontius Pilate, who was the fifth prefect of the Roman province of Judea from AD 26 to 36. Tiberius died in 37 AD. Although he had one of the longest reigns, he died with a terrible reputation as far as the Roman people were concerned. Tiberius was succeeded by Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. Never heard of him? Maybe you're more familiar with his nickname, Caligula. Caligula means little boots, which sounds so cute. And he was cute, at least when he was a kid. As a child, he would visit the troops with his father Germanicus. And he would do this wearing a little army outfit, including little boots. The Roman soldiers thought he was so cute that they gave him the nickname Caligula. We probably still call him Caligula to differentiate him from all the other Gaiuses. But there's some irony here in that he has a cute nickname, and yet he was one of the most evil and ruthless of the emperors. How did Caligula become the emperor? As I mentioned, he was the son of Germanicus. Germanicus, who was one of the most respected Romans of the day, was adopted by Tiberius. Germanicus was favored to become the heir of Tiberius, but died under suspicious circumstances. Just a side note. Almost every Roman of high standing during this time died under suspicious circumstances. So Caligula, as adopted grandson of Tiberius, became the next emperor. And things went well for the first six months. After this, things went downhill fast. In addition to his sexual perversion and frequent executions, Caligula took the step of declaring himself divine. It was one thing for the Senate to have a dead emperor declared divine. It was another to be divine while still alive. Caligula also strained the relationship between the Romans and the Jews. He ordered a statue of himself to be placed in the Jerusalem temple, which was not acceptable. Philo, the Jewish philosopher from Alexandria, recounts the delegation he was a part of to try and reason with Caligula. Caligula was not the reasoning kind of emperor. But Caligula didn't just get on the bad side of the Jews. Caligula was assassinated in 41 AD, having been only reigning since 37 thus being the shortest reigning emperor so far, but his record would be broken just a few decades later. Caligula was quite paranoid, often with good reason, and he had many of those who were a threat killed. Anyone who looked like they had a chance of taking his place was murdered. He got rid of all his family who had a claim to rule. Well, almost everyone. 
There was Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, better known simply as Claudius. Claudius was the grandson of Tiberius and the uncle of Caligula. So why didn't Caligula get rid of him? Claudius seems to have had some sort of disability, and he was thought to be a fool by his family. He was terribly mistreated, and he was treated well by Caligula only because he knew it would tick off the rest of the family. No one would have suspected that Claudius could ever rise to the purple, but rise he did, and he actually became one of the most capable emperors. Robert Graves made Claudius well-known with his popular historical novel, I, Claudius. I've always had a soft spot for Claudius as the underdog. One of the things students of the New Testament may be interested in is that it was Claudius that had all the Jews sent out of Rome. This expulsion is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, as well as Suetonius and Cassiodio. This event played an important role in the situation that Paul addresses in his letter to the Romans. Claudius ruled well, but not in his own family. He has some pretty serious wife trouble, and I won't get into it here. Claudius, who began to reign in 41, died in 54. Many suspect his wife, Agrippina, of poisoning him. Agrippina was the mother of the next emperor, and she wanted to be a supportive mother. This brings us to the last of the Julian-Claudian emperors. Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus was born in 37 AD. Nero was the son of Agrippina the Younger. This Agrippina was the sister of Caligula and both the niece and wife of Claudius. Nero was the stepson and adopted son of Claudius. Claudius had a younger biological son named Britannicus, but he was murdered by Nero when he was still a young teenager. There's reason to believe that Agrippina was involved in the death of Claudius. The first part of Nero's reign was quite good, probably due to the influence of his mother and his tutor, Seneca. Unfortunately, Nero eventually had his own mother killed and ordered Seneca to kill himself. The latter part of Nero's reign was violent and corrupt. It was during Nero's reign that we have some persecution of the Christians. We shouldn't think of this as an empire-wide persecution. It may have been localized in Rome, and it included the deaths of Peter and Paul. Roman historians tell us that Nero blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome. Nero's popularity began to plummet. Nero ended up on the run and then concluded he needed to commit suicide. But he couldn't do it and had someone else do it for him. But Nero's story doesn't end there, at least not exactly. There was widespread fear that Nero wasn't really dead. This was not as innocent as Elvis conspiracy theories. The fear was that Nero had escaped to the east and that he would come back at the head of a huge Parthian army to invade the Roman Empire. The Parthians were the successors to the Persians and were the Romans' main enemy at the time. It looks as if the beast imagery in the book of Revelation is drawing on these fears. Revelation tells us that the number of the beast is 666. In both Hebrew and Greek, letters can be transformed into numbers. The Hebrew of Nero Caesar comes out to 666. While there's some disagreement as to whether the beast is being described as Nero, there definitely is some evidence in this direction. I'm going to finish off the century of Roman emperors quite quickly. 69 AD is called the Year of the Four Emperors. The reason for this is that in 69, there were four emperors. Amazing, eh? The first three were Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. They each reigned for an extremely short time. It was not a fun time to be a Roman emperor. The fourth, Vespasian, had much more promise. 
When Vespasian was proclaimed emperor by his troops, he was in the midst of fighting a war against the Jews. I hope to do an entire episode on this war in the future. What you should know is that the Jewish historian Josephus predicted this, and when it came true, Vespasian took on Josephus, despite him being a defeated Jewish general as his client. Josephus, who was born Yosef ben Matiahu, became Titus Flavius Josephus to demonstrate his loyalty to Vespasian, whose full name was Titus Flavius Caesar Vespasianus Augustus. Vespasian left his son Titus to finish the Jewish war, and he went to Rome to claim the throne. Vespasian was the strong emperor that Rome needed. He reigned from 69 to 79 AD. He was succeeded by his son Titus, who reigned only from 79 to 81. Titus was succeeded by his brother Domitian. Domitian reigned from 81 to 96. Domitian, like Nero, was one of the emperors that persecuted Christians. It's believed that Revelation was written during the reign of Domitian, and that the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 reflect the hostile environment that Christians found themselves in. That's the end of this look at the Roman emperors. We will return to them when we get to the second century. But before ending the episode, I'll mention a couple of things that are relevant for our topic. There were elements of the Roman Empire that helped facilitate the spread of Christianity. One of these was the Roman infrastructure, including roads and other means of transportation. Even more so was the presence of Pax Romana. Pax Romana is often translated as Roman peace, but it wasn't peace the way we usually think about it. The empire didn't join hands and sing Kumbaya. Roman peace was peace enforced under threat of death. Many peoples within the empire had fought each other for generations. The Romans came and told them, You will stop fighting or we will come and slaughter all of you. There is your peace. I can't overemphasize the importance of understanding the Roman context. The earliest Christian creed was, Jesus is Lord. This was a direct attack on the expected vow of Caesar is Lord. By saying that Jesus is Lord, they were saying Caesar wasn't Lord, and that was treason. I mentioned that there was some persecution. The persecution was not that Christians were worshipping a false god. The Romans could care less if the Christians worshipped Jesus. The official policy was religious pluralism, but everyone in the empire, except the Jews, were to burn a pinch of incense to the emperor. The Christians wouldn't do this, and so they were seen as disloyal. All this was happening as the Christians were beginning to be distinguished from the Jews, thus losing their special privileges. This probably is what is happening in the early chapters of the book of Revelation. And that is our look at the Roman context. Thank you for listening to this episode. Come and visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com and find me on Facebook and Twitter. Please also leave a review on iTunes and even consider supporting me at patreon.com slash hopesreason. Plus, check out my new podcast on the Second World War at secondworldwarpodcast.net. Thank you and God bless.